Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm excited to be with you just like I am every week because we have a wonderful, wonderful guest. And this week is going to be absolutely no different. I think you're going to really love the conversation that we have. But prior to introducing our guest, we always get new listeners. And so I have to tell people a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks. Bottom line, we are an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort. So we have the radio show, which can be audio or video. We have the blog. We have the YouTube channel. We do dementia chats where I interview people with dementia. So they're the true experts that tell us how they'd like to see the world spin and um, become more dementia-friendly, plus a lot of other things. So check us out at alzheimerspeaks.com. This got started because my mom had dementia for 30 years, and as a daughter, we just couldn't find the resources we need. And so Alzheimer Speaks is really about raising everyone's voice and helping you connect to services, products, and tools that are available um, that you just might not be aware of. I also want to thank each and every one of you. You see your likes, your clicks, and your shares have been really powerful because you've helped us spread the word of all these um, all these things that can make life a little bit easier when you're walking on this path with dementia. So thank you so much. You've gotten us recognized by Oprah and ARP and Dr. Oz, Maria Shriver, and that wouldn't have happened without you. So I share those accolades with you. And I also invite you to be a guest on our show. Just reach out to me because my, ch- my guess is you have a story to tell too. So with no further ado, let me go ahead and introduce our guest today. This is a person who is kind of new to my life, but she's just kind of a mover and a shaker and a powerful lady with a, with a mission that I think is really valuable and some, some great insights to share. It is Dr. Lori Myron Menbeck, and she's a licensed clinical psychologist that specializes in geriatrics, which you know, we don't have enough geriatric um, psychologists out there. So this is really, really important. And many of you might not even know that that term exists. Uh, but if you can find one, that is, uh, is a really good match um, to get somebody who specializes in uh, geriatrics. She is also the founder of Inclusivity, which is a t-shirt company devoted to justice and kindness. And she totally walks her talk, which I so appreciate. Uh, Lori is also the mother of two grown daughters who are also going into psychology, and she's married to an artist. Lori believes the most important things that we can do is to listen and pay attention and try every day just to make the world a better place for the people that we meet. So welcome, Lori. How are you doing today? I am great. How are you? 
I'm, I'm fantastic. It's Friday, so that's always a good thing in my world, you know, time to get to the weekend. Now, before I ask you um, questions regarding your business and background, I always like to start out, ask every one of our guests, have you been touched personally with your own sphere of family and friends by dementia? Lori, I think that um, I didn't know this at the time, but I'm confident that my grandfather actually had dementia when I was a child. I was probably when I was a teenager. And I remember going to his house and he really just sat at his kitchen table and was always seemed content and happy, but um, really didn't remember who we were most of the time. And luckily he had my parents nearby who really took care of him and spent a lot of time with him and made sure he ate every day and sort of just, he was allowed then to age in place and was in his home until almost the time he died. So it was really a nice thing. And looking back, I think they handled it well without having any information. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I was a teenager, so I didn't realize he had dementia at the time, but I'm certain that he did now, now that I know more. Well, I know with my, my uh, grandma, they always said she was senile at the end and, you know, they used different terms back then. Um, and it's uh, the care for people with memory loss and, and any form of dementia has come a long ways. We still have a long ways to go, mm-hmm. but we're definitely, definitely making progress. Why don't you give us a little background as to why you chose uh, geriatric psych to get into? Absolutely. So I, I think there are a few reasons. One, I was always the kid in the neighborhood who wanted to hang out with the people who were 80. I would go visit our neighbors and um, hang out with them, play cards and have coffee, or I actually didn't drink coffee, but have tea and cookies. And I just liked them. And so um, it never occurred to me that I could actually have a career that specialized in geriatrics when I went into psychology. And it wasn't until I moved to Minnesota that I found a group that specializes in geriatric care. And it was such a blessing and so clearly the right path for me when I found it. Um, because it's just always been a passion I've had and just a desire to know people at the end of their lives when they've lived and they have so many wonderful stories and can teach me so much. And also I, as a geriatric psychologist, it's very fun because I get to remind people how great they are. I get to meet with someone and tell them that whatever is going on with them, whatever their memory is, right, whatever their memories are right now, they're still wonderful and they're still good to be with and that they're still a pleasure. And so it's a real treat for me to get to do that. Well, that's interesting. When I was younger, too, I was always drawn to elders. Mm -hmm. And I remember, especially the women elders, because I had in my own family such a diverse group of women. I had one that was kind of the old spinster. I had one that was really business savvy. I had one that was just the typical grandma. And and they were all just such different personalities. And, you know, I'm, I'm pushing 60 now. So back then, that was really rare to have such a diverse group in that age. And so none of them really fit the mold. And I just found them fascinating, you know, and just filled with such great information and insights and stuff. And so I guess that's something that we had in common in terms of drawn to that, their wisdom and, and kind of their soul essence there. Now, you kind of went from geriatric psychology to opening up your your own business. Why don't you tell people more about your business? As you said, I was a geriatric psychologist um, actually for many years. And in 
2016, before November of 2016, I would have said I was going to remain in that forever. And that's, I was going to retire from geriatric psychology. And how lucky am I to have had that, you know, how fortunate to have had that opportunity. And then I felt that there was a lot of negativity going on and a lot of divisiveness. And um, my friends were sort of feeling, what are we going to do? This, the world seems scarier now than it did. And it seems uh, like there's more people just disagreeing with each other and some fundamental issues of equity and justice. And so I decided I had to do something more. And it was a definite passion. I was pulled to do it. I would say that when I started geriatric psychology, it was clear that that was the path I was supposed to be on. It was absolutely a mission, a, you know, a, a driven um, need to do that kind of work. And I would say that the same thing happened with the company, that it was just time to do something else. And I chose to start inclusivity the way I have, which is, it's a t-shirt company, as you said, and we also sell bags, but they're all designed by artists so that we have, you know, beautiful artwork on our shirts and on our bags, all around themes of justice or kindness or inclusivity. So the goal is um, to create shirts that welcome everyone and that have positive messages because we know, and as a psychologist, I've always known this, that words matter a lot. And that if we hear negative words all the time, if we see negative words all the time, it affects how we interact with the world, it affects our self-esteem, and it affects those around us. And so if we can bring a positive message into the world, that's amazing. And what's really cool, Lori, is that um, I didn't realize this when I first started the company, but there's a lot of similarities between what I'm doing in the company and what I did as a psychologist. And for me, a lot of that centers around the fact that it's all about how we talk to each other. It's all about spreading this message of let's take care of each other and protect each other and we matter and everyone matters. And as a geriatric psychologist, one of my favorite things to do is just to sit with someone and remind them of all the great things they've done and remind them that they matter exactly as they are right now. And so I feel like with the company, that's our goal too, is to remind people that that they matter and that, um, that there's room for everybody. Very quickly before we move on, um, I know that, that right now we're doing this um, live. So I just want to share a shirt that I'm wearing because it was actually um, created. The design was created by a 92 year old woman in um, Iowa. And I just think that it's a fun um, design. So she actually, and I want to tell a quick story about her because she created this shirt, this design out of construction paper. And we then made it into the t-shirt. And the reason she did it out of construction paper, her name is um, Nisha Worley, and she's been an artist forever. And she was a painter and also um, a sketch artist. And she created this out of construction paper because she could no longer do her other art. And so I think it's a wonderful uh, sort of a wonderful symbol of adaptation that she had to still do art. And when I asked her to create a t-shirt, she was thrilled thought she was going to do it in painting and um, sketching and realized she just couldn't do the images she wanted anymore because of, you know, just a little bit of her hands weren't working quite as well as they were. And so rather than just say, I'm sorry, I can't do it. She actually created it with construction paper and then sent it to me and said, is this okay? And I said, well, that's phenomenal. It's beautiful. And I think they I think it looks fantastic on the shirt. So for me, it's just that resilience. And um, that's what our company is all about is inviting everybody to participate and, and be part of it, things in whatever way they can. So anyway, it's just a fun story. It's a very fun story. And I think, um, I think sometimes we forget that life is really all about adaption. 
And just because we we're aging or we have an illness, that's no time to stop. <laughs> you know, um, to you know, stay purposeful and and look at new ways. You know, to do things. And I, I think so often, I know when my daughter was going to school you know, they would teach a new math. And I remember when I went to school, they would teach a new math. And my mom would yell, Dean, get in here. I don't get this new math. <laughs> and I wasn't open to, to old ways because I thought there was only one way to solve a problem. Well, then the funny part was, is that I had a daughter and then they were teaching her the new math. And the same thing happened where she was not open mm-hmm. to other ways to do it. And, and I think that that's such a grave mistake when we aren't open to multiple, because there's multiple ways to approach any problem in life or any situation, but we've gotten so close focused that this is a right way and this is a wrong way. And I think that that's something that we need to, we need to talk about more. I think it needs to be brought into the schools more because everybody does learn a little bit different. The other thing that I wanted to make comment on, because I, it just, uh, it amazes me some of the similarities that we have in terms of growing up. Um, you seem to be a social justice girl and so was I. I was always standing up for the underdog and I always have, since I was really little, wanted the playing fields even, mm-hmm. you know, I just at my core of me wanted this level of acceptance for people. And so I've always worked really hard at that, even as a, even as a child. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you talked also about switching careers, how you never thought you'd leave psychology, I never thought I'd leave real estate, Mm -hmm. you know, after 25 years. And yet the switch, it feels like I was never there because I love what I do so much. And I can tell from the passion in your voice that you really enjoy, you know, what you're doing and that and that what you did in the past and what you're doing now um, and in the future, they, they all meld together, kind of building blocks, you know, as we go. And I think sometimes that scares people to make a big career change, but I think sometimes it really infuses us mm. with, with a new feeling of life and purpose. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is, is really important. And again, I think that that's another thing that we don't, we don't communicate to people mm-hmm. and, and yet our children will probably change positions way more than we ever did because they get bored. And they want to do something new. And I think that that's pretty cool. And as parents, we have to embrace their ability to kind of let go and move on. Because most of us haven't been good at that. (laughs) No. Well, and Lori, I would say that it, it, and you know this too, that it's way beyond what we do for work. So being able to adapt and find new passions as we change. Yep. As you know, we can't do the same things we could do before, but there are, are other things that can engage us. And again, that's what I love about Nisha's work is that she just said, well, I'm not done being an artist, yep. so I can't do the art I've done before. So what is it that I can do now? So I, I love that, that feeling of I'm still me. Mm-hmm. And that is a lot of what I um, share with my geriatric patients, um, but also with just people in general is that as we change, it doesn't, we're still, we're still us. So 
still the, the, you know, the core of who we are is still there. And we just have to adapt and, and use it in different ways and explore in different ways. And I think it's exciting, if also sometimes scary. Exactly. Well, can you share with our audience, what are some of the lessons that carried over from your work in psychology um, to, to your t-shirt company? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest one really is that the best and most important thing we can do is listen. As a psychologist, you listen all the time. It's sort of what you're, you're literally paid to listen and occasionally make a comment. And, but I think in general, in life, we are better when we listen. I think it makes people feel more accepted. I think it makes people feel seen. And I strongly believe, and this is carried throughout my life, that what we all want is for somebody to see us. We want somebody to notice who we are. We want someone to hear what we're saying and understand what our passions are and to really kind of get us. And we cannot get each other if we don't listen. So if every time you're speaking, I'm waiting for you to be done so that I can say something, I'm not hearing you. And I'm probably going to miss something incredibly important that you've said. And it might be the tiniest little thing. And, and I will also say that I think, um, I think I'm, I know that I'm happier when I pay attention to other people. I know that it, the benefit to me is so significant that, you know, with my clients that I've had through psychology, I have gained and learned much more than I've possibly given and been privileged to be in the presence of people who have lived a life and who can talk to me about the pieces of their life that they've lived, regardless of how many of those pieces they remember, there's still stories there and there's still these amazing things to share. And the other thing I would say is that, you know, as far as the psychology and the the business is to slow down. I think that's a funny thing for me to say today. And in fact, I, right before talking to you, I stepped in my cat's litter and dumped it all over my living room floor. So it's been a hectic day. And that was only because I was rushing that I did that. But I think I know at the core of me that part of being human and part of connecting with each other really is just slowing down. And I tell, you know, I like to tell, I told my children, but, and I like to tell my clients too, and, and staff that I work with sometimes, if there's not really a fire, don't react like there's a fire. If you have a minute, take a minute. Um, There are some emergencies that you really have to hurry and, and run. Almost none of the time is that true. So if it takes an extra three minutes to give someone a bath, or it takes an extra 20 minutes for someone to have their dinner, most of the time it really doesn't matter. And I think that we can get so wrapped up by the clock and by believing that there has to be this schedule that we forget that really, why? It, it really doesn't matter most of the time. So it's, that's a lesson that I think really does follow through just across life. Yeah, I know for me, like with dementia with my mom, I created a tool called Your Memory Chip because there were times where I wasn't the gracious daughter she deserved. Mm-hmm. And and I felt really bad about that. And so I had interviewed a bunch of people and done a bunch of things. But bottom line was, instead of focusing on my list of things to do, I started focusing on three simple things. And that was, was she safe? Was she happy? Was she pain-free? Because those were the critical thing. Um, you know, I wanted, I wanted her to be comfortable. Yeah. You know, I wanted her to be safe. I wanted her to be happy. And that changed how I did my tasks. Mm-hmm. That changed, that allowed me to let others in to do some things. It made me realize I 
I was just what you were saying. I was putting pressure on myself to get stuff done in a certain time frame that was totally irrelevant. But what we've turned into, I think, in a society is we follow this these checklists because life has gone so fast and we feel good checking stuff off. But checking stuff off does not build a relationship. And, you know, we talk so much about being person-centered and doing something for others. Well, they don't really care 90% of the time what we do for them. Again, it gets back to how do we make people feel. That sense of being quiet and listening and letting them tell a story or just kind of reveling in their presence. Maybe there's no words to be said, especially with somebody with dementia and, and stages. It's it's just about being and and appreciating that gift of just being and in communicating. So it looks like somebody wants in on the communication there. Who do we have here? This is Bella. Bella. And when she wants to be um, friendly and affectionate, she's lovely. Mm-hmm. And when she decides she's done, she's less lovely. <laughs> well, there she goes. <laughs> oh, she'll be back now, though. Um, you know, and I was just talking to a friend, actually, whose um, parent is experiencing some dementia right now. And one of the things that I was really pleased to be able to talk to them about is they were saying, and we have this list of things, and, and what about if we need to do this, and we have to get this done, and what if she doesn't, um, what if she won't put her shoes on in the morning? Or, and it was this list of things, and it was wonderful to be able to just say, okay, I want you, and I said just what you said. I said, I want you to stop and say to yourself, is she safe? Is she comfortable? And is there anything on this list that really crucially has to be done? And I actually talked to them about also treating the caretakers for her the same way. Um, Because one of the issues was, and you know, this happens all the time. One of the issues was family feeling hard feelings about each other regarding the caretaking and the person who's caretaking the most feeling a little resentful at times, but the other people feeling like they're not always doing everything exactly the way they should. And so we talked a lot about, do you feel like everyone in that group is trying their best? Do you believe that they all care about your parent? Okay. So let's start there every time. So every time that you're having a concern, can you start with first saying to yourself, I know that Marianne really loves mom or dad. And I know that she is trying her hardest. I have a little concern about this. How can I deal with it knowing that this is all based in this love and caretaking? Because I think reframing is incredibly important as we're thinking about these are important issues. These are big things and and they do matter. But I think if you can, again, get to that core message Mm -hmm. of what's really going on here. And I think sometimes we don't go to that core because sometimes it's easier to focus on the minutia than it is to really think about the relationship ending or to think about the next step or to think about, I think that can be emotional. It's emotional to be there. So it can be easier to do the tasks, but really, really important. Yeah. Well, and we fall, we fall into the blame game. You know, because then it's, it's them, it's not me. And then I don't have to look inward because, oh my gosh, I might have to change or I might be the trigger point or, you know, and I did that with my brothers. I mean, I was always trying to fix them, have them be like me, you know, and, and it was funny having that whole conversation with them. Cause after my dad died, we, we talked about it and I was sharing stories with them. And I remember my one brother saying, 
well, where'd you get all the stories? And I remember just saying, well, I, I was there. And, and it was at that point that it hit me, oh my gosh, how much they missed. And, and my heart just sunk and I felt so sad for them. And so then we dug a little deeper into the conversation as to why they didn't show yeah. her. And of course, they they were blaming me because they, they said, well, you're a control freak. And I'm like, well, no, I'm just very organized. <laughs> you know? And we had different different impressions of that whole of that whole process. But it was um, it was really interesting. I said, well, I'll take part of the I'll take part of the blame if that's mm-hmm. where we have to go. But I'm not going to take all of it. We had the conversation of you didn't want to feel, see and feel what was going on. And so you chose not to, because you could have had this conversation with me earlier, but you chose not to go there. And so, you know, we just kept digging a little deeper. And then it made me realize that even though they said, well, you know, they were comfortable and confident in me as a care partner, that was also an excuse to not come. And, and yet then they label it as control where they were thrilled to death to not be involved. And, and yet they realized what they missed after the fact. And we don't want anybody missing out, you know, so we have to have these conversations and, and, you know, as a, as a, as a unit, I don't care if it's family or friends, you know, we have to know, and this is one of my sayings, we have to know how care is perceived, received, and delivered. And we have to look at all three of those components. And we all have different perceptions of that. And so if I would have known that earlier, I I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have been open to listening to it back then either Mm -hmm. um, until until I felt that pain in the heart of what they lost. Because before that, I just thought they were kind of jerks. You know, because I was blaming them for not being like me, but it made me realize the importance of, you know, the diversity and the gift of diversity. You know, if it's within a family, if it's within a community, if it's within a culture, it doesn't make any difference, but those are all gifts. But we've learned in society to be scared of those differences. Yeah. And I think what's so interesting about that is that that's also a tie into the com- to the company that and the country at large. You know, we get we don't agree with someone, and then we get mad, and we feel like they're the bad guy. And I think that it can culturally affect us as well. And part of the goal with the company is to always be spreading a message of kindness and caretaking and taking a breath and waiting and trying to see other people's perspectives and approaching every situation with a sort of a radical and intentional kindness, because I think that matters. And I think that it matters in the situations we're talking about. If you approach other family members with this intentional radical kindness and that you've said, that's my framework. I'm, that's the way I'm approaching the world. I won't always agree with you Mm -hmm. because that's not necessary but I at least will treat you with respect and with kindness while we're disagreeing. I think that it can change everything. And I think that that's something that's sorely missing right now in um, the world. And something that we really are working on encouraging is this sort of sense of, I approach every situation with this radical intentional kindness, period. Well, and that's like Alzheimer's speaks. It was all about raising everyone's voice and to do it in a respectful fashion, to say it's okay to to, to disagree. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how we expand our minds and our knowledge and 
Um, it doesn't have to be a knockdown drag out. I'm right, you're wrong. It's just we're coming from from different perceptions and we learn, you know, we learn from one another if we're open to it. And I think that that is um, a skill that is not taught mm -hmm. and, and, and it's easily modeled if mm -hmm. we choose to do it. You know, I think with the holidays coming up, you know, a lot of people will step into that mode of, of doing kind of the Christmas surprises or holiday surprises you know, um, secret Santas or whatever you want to call them for every different culture. And people love, you know, having nice things done for them, little surprises. And it's like, that doesn't have to just be tied into December. <laughs> we, we can do that all year long because, and the people who are doing those gifts of kindness, it makes them feel good. It's yeah. not... You know, it's it, it might be for some a, a drudgery at first because they're not used to it and they don't know even what to do. Um, and some people, I think, think that it has to be a really big thing. And maybe you're just scooting in somebody's house and making their bed, you know, and, and putting a chocolate on their pillow or something. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be huge or, you know, buying somebody a cup of coffee when you go through the drive-thru, the guy behind you, just that those random little acts or smiling and having a conversation with somebody who's just appears alone. Lori, for me, this brings us right into the 10 days of kindness that we're planning in January, because I think that is, is the key of that initiative. So um, for your listeners, 10 days of kindness is an event that, um, Inclusivity has been working on with the city or the town of Grinnell, Iowa, and the college, Grinnell College. Um, but what's cool is that it's a, an initiative that has actually come to involve the entire town. So the businesses are involved and the schools will be involved and the college and the mayor and um, the whole community. And the goal of that initiative is in you know, the cold Iowa winter, um, end of J January, to talk about and to really focus on being kind to one another and to see how that changes things. And there's a bunch of research that says what you were just saying is that, you know, being kind actually is really good for us. And if it's hard at first, that doesn't matter. But we know that the research is very strong that children who are kind and experience kindness and have those sort of open mind to approach things kindly do better in school. They're um, more compassionate adults. They learn better. It's, there's a whole um, system of research that says this is a wonderful thing and that it actually affects the world around us. It not only affects us internally. So if I'm kind, I sleep better. If I'm kind, I have, my temper is better. If I'm kind to others, it affects them as well in the same ways. And it has a tremendous ripple effect. So our goal is, you know, for these 10 days to really focus on kindness with the aim of having the community shift a little bit. So that the next day, when the 10 days is over, nobody says, well, I'm done with that. But instead, people say, well, you know, maybe we, can, we did it for 10 days. Maybe we can really try to do this for 20. Um, and what I'm excited about is that, that we are looking into having you come along and be a part of this initiative so that we bring in the whole community. So we bring in preschools, but then we also bring in people who are aging and people with dementia and really talk about how does that kindness ripple out to every member of the community, including the most vulnerable members? And how does that change the way we interact and change the way um, we hold ourselves and, and create community? And so I'm really excited about that um, that whole prospect. And it 
totally fits with what we're talking about. Just this need to be kinder and take care of each other and recognize that that's the way we move forward. That's the way we continue to be. We have to do those kinds of things to create a world that, that can sustain. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things, the world has gotten so volatile. I mean, a lot of people are just not even turning on the news anymore because it's just, it's traumatic Mm-hmm. And it's, it's scary and we can shift that, you know, yes. and, and, you know, if we can get media to start focusing on positive things instead of negative things, we can have that same ripple effect, but yeah. in a better fashion. And like you said, you're, you'll sleep better. Your health will be better when we're stressed. That's horrible on our bodies, mm-hmm. you know, and when we can let go of that stress and actually feel productive and feel like we've given something or, or change, you know, change somebody's world. It changes ours, you know, it changes ours. And so one of the things with, with dementia that I see is, you know, this ripple effect and we see in families in general, you know, the saying is when mom is happy, the whole family's happy because there's that ripple effect, you know, or, you know, if a child's having a tough time or a person with dementia or whatever, it affects everybody. But mm-hmm. the same thing is true with joy, with happiness. But no one talks about that. And, yeah. no, and, and so if we don't talk about it, we can't experience it. We can't feel it. And so that's what's cool about this project. It says, let's, let's go bigger. Let's go longer. Let's just mm-hmm. see if we can really get everybody to feel this because it feels a lot better, you know, than being stressed out or angry or upset. And uh, it's, it's just such a huge, huge difference. There's a, um, there's a, a film called um, Alive Inside and it's, it, I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but it's about music and dementia. Well, it's actually yeah. bigger than dementia. They, it's a social worker who, took um, headsets into a a nursing home in different places. And so people with post-traumatic stress, with dementia, um, with bipolar, with all kinds of stuff, they put these headsets on them and they just bubbled. I mean, they were just, it changed their mood. And by changing their mood, you can hear in the background, it's changing everybody else's mood. They're fascinated. We've never seen Henry like this before, or we've never seen fatty like this before and and they were filled you could just feel the joy they were feeling that this had come alive and so I think the importance of the ripple effect is so profound and yet it's understated and underused and under leveraged you know to shift our our care culture and uh, and to me that is what kindness does is it helps shift our care culture, which we, we, as a society, we really don't even talk that we have a care culture. And so if we don't talk about it, we can't fix it. And I think that this is a beautiful way because it is so intergenerational as well. You know, there isn't anybody that cannot participate. I wanted to have you share with our audience that kind of your childhood influence to your kind of social justice cause and and where, you know, where did this, uh, where did the kindness stem from? Do you think it yeah. brought it back? Um, I think it absolutely stemmed from my parents. Um, both my parents are pastors. They're pastors of the United Church of Christ, which is a very liberal, um, justice-focused branch of Christianity, and very much raised me to believe that 
part. I was thinking about this the other day because I was I actually wrote recently wrote just a paper on the link between happiness and kindness, um, which I haven't put out yet, but I will. And um, I was thinking about where did this come from for me, and it definitely came from my parents, from their teaching to me that the only way to be in the world was to be kind, mm-hmm. that the only way to be human was to take care of each other. Mm-hmm. And my parents were the kind of people that if I called them today and said, my friend Lori needs a place to live for six months, mm-hmm. they would say, well, well, you know, we've moved to a retirement community. We don't have a lot of space, but of course we will take her and she wow. can stay with us and we'll feed her and take care of her. And I have no doubt that they would do that mm-hmm. in a heartbeat because we had people periodically living with us when I was a kid, just mm-hmm from the church or from the community who needed a, a time we had, um, there was an ice storm once in our town and every member, you know, half the people who lived in the country, we lived in a small rural town in Wisconsin and half the people who lived in the country lived at our house for several days because they had no electricity. And so my, you know, we just cooked a bunch of food and people <laughs> hung out. And so I think that for me, it, it never occurred to me that that was, that it would, that that would not be the way to live. Mm-hmm. That it never occurred to me that that I shouldn't be taking care of other people, and in fact, it's so a central part of my belief about being human that I don't think I, I can't imagine, mm-hmm. um, not wanting to make other people's lives better, and so I think that's it. I think I was just simply raised with the belief that that is a part of being human is taking care of each other, and I think it's a good way to be raised. Yeah, I was similar background. Um, we didn't necessarily have a lot of people living with us, but ours was the hub house. Mm-hmm. And if you had a problem. I don't care if it was if it was a human or if it was an animal. You know, you came to our house for help, yeah. um, and and there was always support. There was always a plan. It, you know, if it was a a baby rabbit or a bird that ran into the window and got knocked out for a while, and we we had to care for it or you know, if it was uh, somebody who was uh, sick and needed their um, needed some food or needed their snow shoveled or grass cut or laundry done. I mean, if it was a if it was a school team and you needed to work the concession stand, that was just that was just part of your your citizenship, your duty to, to participate. And it, there was no second guessing it. Mm-hmm. It was just what what you do. I, I think that's a fabulous thing. I want to ask you in terms of the 10 days of kindness and Grinnell, and you're going to be doing some holiday marketing push too <laughs> with your company. If you can talk a little bit more about maybe if, if people listening are interested in maybe having 10 days of kindness come to their community, you know, how should they approach you on that? And Grinnell this year is sort of our prototype. So what I would say, what I would advise people to do is if they're interested in trying to get this going in their community, wait until after February and then contact me at um, the company is, is our website is www.inclusivity, I-N-C-L-U-S-I-V-I-T-E-E.com. And um, there's a link to information and they can contact me that way. And I would be thrilled to talk them through sort of what we did, what, you know, what our plans are for next year. Our goal, frankly, for next year is to have um, basically a prototype 
uh, program written up that a community could get that program and look through it and say, oh, we love these pieces of this. Let's incorporate that. Or, um, you know, we wouldn't want to do this piece, but we we'll want to do this piece just so they can sort of uh, personalize it for their own community. And I would love to be involved with helping to plan those and um, sort of give advice and talk through what worked, what didn't. So I, that's definitely something I would recommend. As far as our holiday push, we're really excited because we have some really great products coming out and it's, those will all be part of our holiday push. So we'll have some coming out online the week of Thanksgiving. We have a couple designs that have to do with music, um, which are just stunning. And we have one that has to do with conservation that has uh, beautiful images of animals that have come back from the point of extinction. So animals that were on that list and are no longer on the list. So it's a really lovely tribute to the importance of conservation and why it works. Um, and so we're really excited about that. So we have those coming up and our, again, if you go to our website, we'll be launching those products um, in the week of Thanksgiving and probably having some kind of a special going on the week of Thanksgiving as well. We're also introducing a couple of um, new products specifically geared at older people. So one of them is, uh, it's, I think it'll be on a towel and it'll say um, recipe from grandma's or grandpa's kitchen. And it's a recipe for a happy life. So I think it's going to be very cute and really perfect for any frankly, for any grandparent on your list. Mm -hmm. So we're doing that. And we also have two, we have two physical markets that we're having. If you're in Minnesota, um, we're actually going to be at Ridgedale Mall on Black Friday and then one weekend in December. So we're excited because we have some cool products coming out. And we are also in the process of switching to hemp because hemp is an incredibly earth-friendly material and probably one of the most earth-friendly. And so that that's being introduced at our at our marketing this holiday season too. So that's very cool. Are you doing bags too? We do have bags as well. And in fact, I just got um, some really beautiful tote bags that were done um, by a woman in somewhere in the U.S. I can't remember where she's from, but she, I think it's somewhere out East, but um, they're totally made of hemp and they're just lovely, like overnight kind of tote bags. Um, so we have, we have those and we also are doing produce bags. So a hemp bag that would replace your plastic produce bags. And we're printing that really cool image on those as well. So yeah, we have bags and t-shirts and um, I'm very, very excited about the things we have right now. Oh, good. Now, is there anything else that we haven't covered that you, you would like to share with our audience? Anything I missed? <laughs> um, well, and I think, I think that just so your audience kind of knows a little bit more about this, uh, the company story, because I did not say any of this when I was talking before. We donate 50% of our profits. And during the holiday season, the, um, the thing that I just talked about with you, the towel with the grandma's recipe or grandpa's recipe on it, we will be donating 50% of our, or we'll be donating 10% of each product that's sold to a local organization that works with um, people who are older. We're still finalizing that. So I'm not going to announce yet who it is, but that's very cool. Um, and then we also donate time and energy and help plan nonprofit um, fundraisers and also community events. So we just had an event that was called kindness at home and it was in sort of um, solidarity with people who were experiencing housing problems. So our goal with the company is, uh, you know, as you said, we really do try to walk the walk as well as talk the talk and make sure that everything we're doing fits into our company model and our, our company um, mission. And so that's our goal is to be pretty transparent and to do good things wherever we can for anyone that we can. 
Yeah, when you were talking about the towels, you had mentioned, you know, a great gift for grandma and grandpa, and I'm thinking it would be a great gift for grandchildren. Oh, that's actually true. To pass that on from grandma and grandpa, or even their parents. I think there's just so so many life lessons, uh, and just get them to focus, and and be just kind of a neat intergenerational piece. I like that. For our audience, again, all the information is on the radio show page or the blog or or the YouTube channel, whatever you are watching or listening this through. Um, the website, um, they are also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and Lori's email is also listed as well. So please feel free to, again, reach out if you are interested in some social justice um, wearables or giveables and usables. Um, and see what they have through the website, inclusivity.com. And then um, if you're interested in this 10 days of kindness, you know, put it on your calendar to to reach out. And I, I would imagine if somebody uh, contacted you earlier, because a lot of times people like to, you know, hear a little bit more about it, you'd be open to talking with them too. Of a prototype that you are going to be tweaking. And I think um, from what you said, you know, each community will do it differently. You know, it's kind of like a a memory cafe where this is the overall concept, but you use the the resources and the tools that you have at hand and you customize it to the needs that you know. And, you know, you might decide to do it a second year and that might be tweaked again because you've learned things. And and again, that's a, I think that's a good way to approach life is that this is, this is just one big learning curve, you know, and it's all about making improvements as we, as we learn and sharing, sharing what, what it is you've learned. And that's one of the things that I, I really appreciate about you, Lori, is you're, you're very open to sharing your knowledge and your wisdom. And I think so many times people are like, oh, I'm worried if I let somebody know I'm doing that, they're, they're going to steal it, they're going to do, do it. And, you know, there's so much to be done. There's plenty for all of us, you know, to be able to participate in. And, you know, November 13th is World Kindness Day, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, and so that is something that you might want to just put down on your calendars, too, just to remind you every year that... Um, this is this is the day to to really make it big, but it is something that can be applied to every day and every moment of your life. Well, and just one more thing about World Kindness Day, which I forgot to announce, is that we have a concert that we'll be launching on World Kindness Day that features some wonderful musicians from the Twin Cities, all of whom have songs that move us or touch us. One of the songs actually talks about about having depression. So it's they're just these lovely songs from artists in the Twin Cities, and it will be available free um, through our YouTube page, which we will also have an announcement on our website and on our Facebook page so people can link to that and listen to some really beautiful music. Well, in closing, I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope that you push this out to your sphere of influences, your Facebook friends, your LinkedIn colleagues, your Twitter tribes and anybody else out there because, you know, the world just can't have enough kindness. There's always room for more. So thank you so much for your time, Lori. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Lori. It was a real pleasure. Bye now.
Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.